Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. I'm Jake Cunningham, and in my cauldron this week, I'm stirring in one portion of cinema editor for Culture Whisper, Ella Kemp. Hello. And a delicate vial of regular contributor, Sam Howland. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So this week, we return to J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World with the crimes of Grindelwald. But first, with music from Tom York and spell casting dance moves, Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria is your destination if you're looking for fantastic beats and where to find them. <laughs> Really nice. Yeah? Good. Thanks, mate. So those are our two new releases that we'll be chatting about this week. If you end up having any opinions on them, feel free to get in touch with us at Curzon Cinemas on Twitter or email us at the podcast at podcast at Curzon.com. So, Suspiria. This sees Luca Guadagnino reunite with serial collaborator Tilda Swinton to play the artistic director of a well-renowned dance company with Dakota Johnson perfectly cast as the newest young entree to the troupe. Those familiar with the original should expect a less operatic and gory, but more nuanced feature. Those coming in fresh get ready for a bold and memorable horror from one of the most reliable auteurs in cinema today. Now, Sam, our, our horror man in the room, can you tell us a bit more about the original Suspiria and then where this one comes into play? Sure. So as you said, the original was very operatic and very gory. It's very, very minimal on plot. So this film, this new film is about two hours, 40 minutes or something, two hours, 30 minutes. The original film is just under 90 minutes. So it's very tight, very short. It says a very similar plot to the new one. An American girl, Susie, goes to a German ballet school um, and slowly discovers that the school is run by a coven of witches. So in the original one, that doesn't really matter that much. It's all about how the film looks and about the kills and the gore and the, the weird stuff that goes on. Um, so the film is so like loud the original the music pretty much plays constantly and the music was done by a band called goblin who also did the dawn of the dead soundtrack and it's this crazy like drum violin there's like weird lyrics to the music to the score throughout it's very weird but it's so in your face and the, so is the film like it's got these really bright primary colors in every scene and like grand guignol horror this one not not completely void of opera or gore but it's as you say much more muted I know that you are a big Luca Guadagnino fan. I am. Um, so what were 
were you anticipating with this film? I must admit I was slightly sceptical just because the original Suspiria is a film that I'd been meaning to see a long time, for a long time. It was a blind spot, so I didn't know what to expect from it. And also, Call Me By Your Name is very recent, so I thought, what? why is he doing this now? Does it need to happen so soon? And I just thought, okay, I, I, you know, I hope lots of other people will enjoy it. But the more I read into it, Luca Guadagnino has been wanting to make this film for 30 years. Mm. He's been thinking about this for so long and, you know, it's actually really exciting. And then I did eventually do my homework, saw the original, was then very intrigued because, as you say, Sam, it's 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 a lot. Mm. And when I saw the film, it's very different to what you'd expect, but then kind of, in a way, makes sense with Guadagnino's previous films as well. Well, I, um, wanted, I would like to explore that because you, you make the first one sound, it's extremely brash. It's quite over yeah. the top. Yeah. And I think of Guadagnino's films, I, they, they have their heightened moments, particularly in something like A Bigger Splash or yeah. I Am Love, but they never feel like they're kind of throwing themselves at you. No. Like, yeah. Call Me By Your Name is an extremely restrained film Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think you feel that restraint in a kind of slow burn horror kind of way because I was not looking forward to this that much because I'm not that great with the biggest amount of horror, but this is... It's tense, it's slow, it's very rich and you kind of let all of these moods and music and just the movements of everyone's bodies just kind of sway around the screen and create this very mysterious atmosphere as opposed to being very aggressive like I think the original one was. Yeah, I think there's two things that are kind of like you know, emblematic of the differences between the new film and the old film and that's one of them is the colour. So mm. the original, as I said, is filled with these really bright reds and blues and like even just the background, everything about the film is so bright and colourful. This film, although it has its colour, it's got far more like muted colour. There's a lot of like browns and greys and it's very sort of, uh, sort of wintry colours. Well, it, it's what we imagine a Cold War Berlin on screen yeah. is. Yeah. which is interesting because the original was also Cold War Berlin, but mm. it was just, it was, um, it was the film was shot in 77 when this new film is also set, but the, it was the original film didn't really care that it was a sort of politically turmoiled mm. Berlin. This new film is exploring that more. Mm. But yeah, so it's the so the colour is washed out of this new one and also the music, like, so as I said, Goblin are, constantly in your face drumming and screaming this one tom york it's quite it's a very weird score for a horror film it's mm. quite ethereal it's, it's quite ethereal. It's, it's quite melancholic it's strangely yeah. light yeah, yeah um, very light and very kind of sort of tender and kind of eases you into the mm-hmm. film yeah and i i think that reflects the additional layering that guadagnino is interested in adding to this story yeah uh, and i think that's perhaps best represented in the character of uh, Dr. Josef Klemper, played by Lutz Eberdorf, a, a newcomer to mm-hmm. the game. No one knows who that is, for Weird. sure. It's a very exciting debut. Yeah. Very mysterious. It's so late in his life. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> who could it be? But like with the music, it's he's a melancholy character mm. and he, he is, he's caught amongst the drama and the aggression of it. Mm. And his story is a lot sadder. And mm. that's, yeah. Tom. I think Tom York really lends himself in particular yeah. to, to him. Yeah. I find that character really interesting because I think in a lot of other films you have this character of the doctor or the psychologist who just acts as this springboard for the main character to express their feelings and for that to act as some kind of narration that mm. it makes sense. Whereas here, the doctor is 
kind of discovering everything for himself these strange things keep happening and yeah. then he's the one who's like right I have to go and explore this and is he a new addition to the film there's a there's a character in the original yeah there is el- one elderly man who's in it for like one scene or something but he just kind of like pops up and is like oh something strange is happening here whereas yeah. this guy is really like yeah. I'm going to take it into my own yeah. hands he's, he's like an exposition because I said the original film's so light on plot and mm. Dario Argento the original film's uh, writer-director Really doesn't. I don't think he really cares about what the plot is. He just wants to make some really good-looking horror. Mm. So he just thinks, okay, we'll just throw one scene of this old doctor tell, basically telling the plot. Because in the original, it's sort of you kind of learn about the witches as Susie does. In this film, it's pretty early on that yeah. you know the witches are there mm. before Susie even does. Mm-hmm. But I think that's maybe part of it being a remake as well. It's him addressing the fact that yeah. you, you, we know the story yeah. already, yeah. Uh, and it's opening the door for him to say now now that we know what's going to happen allow me to do what I'm interested in doing with it and it's nice because I think then you can go into it blind as a Guadagnino fan as a Tilda Swinton fan as a Tom York fan Mm. even and if you have seen the original Suspiria great Mm. because I think it's so different but if you haven't then there's so much more to explore as well with it let's quickly dive into the story what there is Mm. somehow it's it's light on story but two and a half hours long yeah um, (laughs) which is quite impressive and I think actually says a lot for the atmosphere that the film builds um, that I didn't feel like that time was actually wasted uh, and I managed to kind of just weirdly relax into this horror Mm. film which is not something you're used to experiencing but we've got along the way Dakota Johnson as Susie that's our lead Tilda Swinton as only Madame Blanc, no one else, not playing anyone else in the film. Um, and she's the, the, the kind of the lead of the, the dance school. Mia Goth uh, as Sarah, one of the other dancers. And along the way, we've got other kind of heads of department within mm. the school and other dancers. One, Patricia, played by Chloe Grace Moretz. And the story that we get from the witches is really just one of almost a, a heart of darkness type thing. It's Susie's journey right into the centre of... Yeah the coven being built here in Berlin. And along the way, she is kind of tempted through dance. The magic is created through their rhythms. Uh, There's a particularly horrifying scene in which Susie's dance in one room is uh, mimicked through the bodily contortions of a extradited dancer in another room. Mm. And this is one of the best scenes of the year. This is absolutely but also one of the most awful. Yeah. And t- ugh. Yeah. This is why the because from from what everything we can say about how the film is more nuanced than the original, and Luca Guadagnino is trying to do more like artistic things rather than just scare the audience or shock the audience. This is also an amazing horror scene because mm. it, it's really horrible, as you say. It's it's really really awful to watch, and it goes on for quite a long time, and like the way her body twists around and like the things that come out of her body and. And then the way her body is dealt with after that as well is really gross. But it's really, really great horror filmmaking. Yeah. For, uh, for, for a director who's never made a horror film before. Yeah. And there are those moments where it just kind of shifts away from being a horror for a moment. Like there are these moments where yeah. it's just like a really beautiful music video. Mm. Um, like the, yeah. vo- the Vogue dance has that impending doom of a, of a horror moment or there's just a lot of tension to this where they're the dance troupe is performing to a crowd but the the way that he cut he works with the music and the movement this is not just filmed performance which mm. i think when someone might be including a dance sequence within a feature film 
occasionally that just what it ends up feeling yeah. like. But this is he's really using the language of film to create like a multidiscipline feeling. Yeah, it's it's really impressive in those moments. Yeah, dance is used really interesting in film quite often. Here it's really great about the sort of comparison between this sort of idea of control and idea of like communion with each other and dance. And then you look at something like climax which was used dance in a really interesting way, or Black Swan, which and the and and Girl coming out in a few months' time. Girl also has an interesting relationship between the body and dance and like ballet and this idea of like what people put their bodies through to achieve artistic perfection in dance. Yeah, in dance. well, in, in a way, it is like is the lesson that we're getting here that the real magic is the art mm, of yeah. performance. Because mm-hmm. some of the film never really addresses is like why these witches have all these powers. Why do they spend their time? dancing mm. and but it doesn't it's not a question that needs answering but it is something weird in the film mm. yeah well so maybe it's time to talk about filling in some answers for another wizarding <laughs> and witching world <laughs> uh if luca guadagnino is not going to give us any answers for this one uh let's move on to fantastic beasts and the crimes of grindelwald i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, and is it Grindelwald? It's Vald, yes. Uh, I only learned that upon depends seeing the who film. who says it. Uh, yeah. yeah, right. Um, so, Ella, you, uh, you've been lucky enough to see this film already. I uh, wonder if you could fill us in about Fantastic Beasts, the crimes of Grindelwald. How much do we need to know? How much do we need to know about the wider Harry Potter world? How much do I need to remember from the one that came out a few years ago? I mean, how much can you handle, Jake? Because there is a lot of plot in this film. So... I'm going to try and break this down in numbers. So The Crimes of Grindelwald is the second film of the five-part spin-off franchise series, which is the Fantastic Beasts films. So the first one was Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which came out a couple of years ago. This is kind of very loosely connected to the Harry Potter universe, but very much the beginning, the second part of this new story. So... In the first film, we had Newt Scamander, um, a magi-zoologist who has a suitcase full of fantastic beasts, um, which escape in New York City. So he has to try and find them and meets witches and wizards along the way. While he's there, darkness is unleashed as well, and he gets wrapped up into this story of dark wizards. So the first film ends with the reveal of Gellert Grindelwald, who is a one of the most powerful dark wizards um, He's our Voldemort for this series. Yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah, let's give him that. So that's the end of the first film. Uh, and the second film starts with exactly that. We are staring into the eyes of Gellert Grindelwald. So the film is now focusing on this, the conflict between Grindelwald and the rest of the wizarding world. 
Newt Scamander is the designated good guy, enlisted by a young Albus Dumbledore to fight Grindelwald before it's too late. Right. There's a lot to take in I mean, there. that is a very minimal yeah, amount you, as you well. Did, you, you said at the start of that. This is loosely linked to the Harry Potter series. Yeah, there's um, magic, there are wizards, there's good versus evil. Yeah, and something I really, really like about the first Fantastic Beasts is that it does spend 90 minutes not really relating to anything. Just chasing uh, yeah. some Just beasts. Just chasing some beasts. <laughs> and there's, that, like, there's that mole thing that likes the coins. Yeah, Niffler. the Niffler. The Niffler. There's, there's like the several Niffler. of those yeah. in the second you one. Get more Niffler action. Oh, uh, great. So, and I love all the beasts yes. and things like that. Uh, and just chasing around New York mm-hmm. and that's the task at hand Easy. and Newt is a perfect character for that because he's really abstaining from any violence mm-hmm. or picking a side in all of this he just wants to find the beasts and that's all he's about yeah um and now in this second film he is he's forced into having to become part of a much bigger event this is mm-hmm. almost a war between Grindelwald, who is wanting to take over the world, basically, get rid mm-hmm. of all the no matches like ourselves, um, the muggles. And anyone who's not pure blood as well. Yes. He's, he's really going to wipe everyone out mm-hmm. who doesn't, who isn't a pure blood wizard. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's quite odd to see Newt thrust into this world, but it does mean we get an entry point into a lot more beasts and a lot more action <sighs> yeah. and a lot more characters. And I feel like we are really now making a lot more connective tissue with the Harry Potter series. Well, we're trying. Yeah, I think there's... It really depends how you want to approach this film and what you really care about. If you're going into this film very much relying on your own knowledge of the Harry Potter universe and you want it all to match up, um, you might end the film being a bit upset because some of the strands which are which I found very entertaining and very enjoyable, actually don't make sense with the dates that have been established for the past you know, 20 years since yeah. these stories started being written. Um, this is something I only realised afterwards. So I really enjoyed all of the different story strands and the really honestly mind-blowing plot twist that just connect people in a way that just didn't need to be connected that much. Yeah. It's strange because there's loads of Easter eggs throughout the films which are really fun to look at and you think, oh, I remember this face or this magical shiny thing from the previous films. So that's fun. But then also there's lots of new characters and old ones and everything just tries to be in your face and tries to do so many things and you can see that they're gearing you up for the fact that there's going to be three more films after this as well. There's just so much. To go back to my introduction, it's very much a cauldron. And they're they're, they're throwing a lot of things in there. Mm. And I think a lot of it actually really works. Mm. Um, I think one of my absolute favourite bits from the first film is that we learn that Newt's suitcase is actually where he keeps all the Fantastic Beasts. So it's a lot like Hermione's tent, if you remember that. Mm -hmm. It's a small tent on the the TARDIS technology. Um, And within Newt's suitcase, it's this amazing, wonderful world of Mm. different landscapes uh, that kind of look like a film set. Uh, It's really beautiful. And we get an extension of that with Newt's basement in his London flat, which just keeps going and going and getting bigger. Um, And again, the the design of the beast, the building of the magical Mm. world, that is what I'm turning up to this film for. I could really put the plot to one side. I'm not that bothered about it. Mm -hmm. What I love is the execution of the wizarding world as it is 
being branded now yeah and i could just look at i could chase the beasts all day long i could see a circus tent get mm-hmm. collapsed into a pocket yeah uh, that's what i want and it sounds like when you think of these wizarding worlds what are you going into them for were you that much of a diehard harry potter fan? Uh, i like harry potter i wasn't like as diehard as Perhaps Ella is, from what I can tell. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I like the first Fantastic Beasts. I really, really, yeah, as you did. Like, I just enjoyed that being in that world, and it does make it made me feel very young mm. watching and hearing that some of that those musical cues mm. and the spells and all this. I mean, yeah, the, the Colin Farrell stuff in the first and uh, was a bit lost on me. Mm. Take it or leave it, that kind of stuff. But I'm looking forward to some good beasts. Yeah, there's great beasts, yeah. and you can't help but get excited when Hogwarts comes on yeah. screen because yeah. that, that was for, missing yeah. from the first one. Mm-hmm. And there is just this crane shot. Yeah. You, you see the outside of the building, the music comes in and suddenly you're 11 or 12 yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. and you're reading them for the yeah, first yeah, time. Yeah. And Jude Law as Dumbledore? Yeah, Jude Law he, is he's Dumbledore. great. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. He's yeah. really good. Um, and I don't. he's not trying to imitate Richard Harris or Michael Gambon. Mm. He is very much his own in the role and I think when you've got 70 years gap or something yeah, you're that's allowed okay. to be a bit mm. different yeah. but, he, he, but he's got a lot of the same traits he's got that mm. natural friendly demeanour mm. he's got a hardness within him that you know is there that ultimately will have to come out and I yeah. think that's yeah. the same as the Dumbledore that we saw in the later yeah. films yeah. or the earlier films but later <laughs> exactly um, but I'm excited to see more of this. And I know it's cynical to be planning out five films in advance. Yeah. Um, and but you can it's... tell they're preparing it. And like even in Dumbledore, well, in Jude Law's character, you can tell that there is restraint. Mm. And you could almost think, oh, I wish there was a bit more of him. But you just know that, you know, it's going to be building up mm. to the moment when Jude Law takes on Johnny Depp, mm. frankly. Yeah. Is J.K. Rowling writing them all? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know if she's committed to. I don't. I'd, I'd assume so. I mean, she's. Yeah. She wrote the first. Well, she wrote Fantastic Beasts, the first one, and now this one. And I think <laughs> she's so deep into this spider's web that I don't think anyone else could unravel. Right. I'd be very surprised if anyone else yeah. took over. Yeah. But I'll be very happy to be a tourist along the sure. way. Sure. Mm. And so that is Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, one of two witch heavy films that you can be checking out this week uh, in cinemas but it's not the only film out there you can also be checking out something on Curzon Home Cinema if you don't want to leave the house uh, there is a film on there called The Workshop I don't know a lot about this one Sam but I'm wondering maybe if sure. uh, you want to tell us a bit so, about it so uh, this is written and directed by Laurent Cante who won the Palme d'Or uh, a few years ago for The Class and he also co-wrote 120 BPM which came out earlier this year we did a podcast on it uh, and it's about a group of young people who uh, join a workshop to write a novel with a famous writer played by Marion Afoir. And uh, we focus on a guy called Antoine, who's part of the workshop, who gradually becomes more and more aggressive uh, and provocative, not only in his writing, but in the way he acts in the workshop. And the film and uh, the writer, uh, Olivia, becomes sort of interested in this him him as a character. And the film, you know, it's kind of this blend of like a contemporary drama, uh, sort of social commentary and a complex character study. Brilliant. And you can actually check out uh, a chat with Lauren Cante yeah. over on the blog so as well. So on the blog, we got into Lauren Cante. Um, he talks about these like long, unbroken takes of like intense uh, arguments, which is, there's a lot of that in 120 BPM as well. Uh, and he talks about the casting as well. 
Brilliant. Um, yeah, and to any uh, aspiring writers out there listening, uh, if you want to, you could submit a short piece of writing about your hometown uh, by the 23rd of November to us, and that would give you a chance of winning a place on a City Lit creative writing course. So that is well worth doing. Uh, you can email that to us at podcast at Curzon.com. Um, so, yeah, do try and take advantage of that. And there's so much stuff going over on the blog at the moment. Uh, you can find a gallery of the Crimes of Grindelwald artwork created by the House of Mina Lima. Uh, and there's an interview on there about working on the distinct details of all of these pieces, many of which appear in the film. So that's labels for champagne bottles, magazine covers featuring Newt, just all of the individual artwork that goes into building this world. Very, very cool. And one final blog post plug ella tell us a little bit about widows and wildlife we spoke about it last week but you got some writing on there now (laughs) i did so widows and wildlife are two films still in cinemas which have not witches but also amazing female characters on screen um i wrote about the main characters in both films which are a mother and wife jeanette brinson played by carrie mulligan and a titular widow veronica rawlings in widows and how it's time to ban the term strong female character and just appreciate them for not being strong, but also lots of other things that we should want to watch. Brilliant. So not quite witches, but certainly bewitching. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on Suspiria or Fantastic Beasts or any other recent releases, let us know by emailing podcast at curzon.com or tweet us at Curzon Cinemas. And if you are listening for the first time, please subscribe on iTunes or Acast or now Spotify. We are new on there. Uh, leave us a review or comment if you would. That'd be wonderful. Uh, next week, after Stealing Hearts at Cannes, we're checking out Coriator's Palm Door winning Shoplifters. Excited about that one? So excited. Very excited. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. And if you want to keep up with all of us at the podcast, you can follow Sam at Sam Howlett underscore one. You can follow me at Jake H. Cunningham. And Ella, we can follow you at EFE Kemp. Excellent. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Thank you.